I'm Michelle and I'm back for season two of Get Mouthy from the Head and Neck Cancer Foundation. Talking about cancer is important, but it doesn't have to be dull or depressing. So join me as I chat with some of the most interesting people I know who are all linked to the fight against head and neck cancers, either personally or professionally. Hello and thank you for joining us. Today I am talking to the very lovely Joe Taylor, who is an author and the founder of ABC Diagnosis, which is a, an after breast cancer diagnosis. Joe is actually a patient herself who now focuses on supporting other patients in every area of their sort of um, journey. So it's great to have you on, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Michelle. So give me a quick sort of elevator pitch of what is ABC diagnosis? What is it? Elevator pitch? Well, that's, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm <laughs> being interviewed for a job. Um, yeah, so after breast cancer diagnosis, I'll give you a little bit of background of what happened to me. So 16 years ago, I had primary breast cancer. Um, you know, uh, it was curable. And but at the time I was on maternity leave, I actually had a five month old and a nearly two and a half year old son and the five month old daughter. Uh, we've got our ideal family, girl and a boy. And, um, you know, breast cancer came to me without any family history at all whatsoever, which, you know, at the time I didn't know about um didn't understand that that you can just be unlucky and get cancer so um yeah i um i uh, had the standard kind of pathway surgery chemotherapy radiotherapy on tamoxifen five years and you know got back into my own life as as you know whatever normal kind yeah. of is when you when you spat out at the end of something like this monitored monitored for a long time because obviously I was only 38 yeah. at the time wow. so you know as a young woman with breast cancer um it was quite um you know not normal really for me to find myself in clinics with lots lots of older women sat there and I'm thinking where are all the younger women in all yeah. this um so yeah, I, um, I I started advocating actually three days after I was diagnosed because wow. they were giving me the impression that there wasn't any other kind of reconstruction that they could offer me at the local hospital where I was. And actually, I then went and found out um, I could have a, a different kind of surgery, even within the same cancer alliance. So it wow. was still within Greater Manchester. And they were offering it somewhere else. And, you know, I hadn't been pointed in that direction. That started um, the kind of advocacy journey for me three days after. Um, mm. You know, so I advocated. I actually changed surgeon at the time. That was, um, you know, kind of the idea that I wanted. It, I wanted something for me as a younger woman. I wanted a reconstruction and the reconstruction that I wanted, not something what was forced on me. Um, Can I just ask you, what, yeah. you said that you changed surgeons. Yeah. Um, was that was that a shock to them? Like at that time, were you sort of like some feisty young woman who, you know, <laughs> were you seen as, I guess what I'm getting at is, were you seen as a bit of a nuisance, you know, that you were sort um, of... I think you're always seen as a bit of a nuisance when you start questioning things and yeah. asking questions. I think that's kind of normal. Um, but then again, some um, clinical staff are very open to it. 
you know, my oncologist now, he will answer any question. I will go with him with all sorts of questions and he will, you know, answer them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think at the time I was seen as a bit of a, you know, what's this woman asking for? Why is she doing that? But I just wanted something that I felt comfortable with, you know, because I was only 38. Yeah. I just didn't want um, an amputation, which I know some people think, oh, you can't call it that. You know, surgeons, in fact, don't feel that they can call it that. Well, actually, it is. It's removing yeah. a body part. And that's what they were giving me without any other anything else. You know, no discussions about what could happen later, whether I had a reconstruction or whatever. So so I went off and did did my own thing, got the reconstruction that I wanted and then tried to pick up the pieces of life where originally I was, you know, fit, healthy, running, um, you know, uh, big into exercise, liked physical activity and, um, you know, I put a stone on in weight after all the surgery and the chemotherapy and just didn't even feel like myself you know you walk mm -hmm. past the mirror you're bald and who's that in the mirror you know yeah. so um so yeah it took me on that journey but I had it in my mind about I want people to know about this I want people to have choices wow. of reconstruction choices of what what they what they want themselves you know not just something imposed on them so the idea of having a website um, was was kind of in my mind about that, but it actually turned out into something different. I did launch it six years after I was diagnosed, so I'd gathered lots of information because I'm kind of a one-stop shop signposting for information, you know, a resource of various things now, um, and I'll probably come on to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I wanted. So six years after my diagnosis, I then launched ABCD after breast cancer diagnosis. And um, I, what I was wanting was the patient voice through this, because what you also find is as a patient, you're just given information, you're given leaflets, mm -hmm. read that, read that, read that. And yes, people will go and Google stuff and you can't stop them from Googling stuff. But what I wanted was something that everything was in one place because you had to go all different areas to find various things. Yeah. So that's kind of what I created. But then from that, with advocacy work, with networking with other, not just patients, but actually going to research conferences, being part of the Greater Manchester Breast Pathway Board, um, you know, part of GM Cancer. Um, and then going, you know, to European conferences, I go to ESMO, the European um, uh, uh, the, the Cancer um, Medicines Oncology Conference. Um, go to that. Go to various other other conferences. I'm actually invited to want to speak at the end of the year in America, in Texas. Um, so, wow. so I do, I do, I do all this kind of as a network so that I'm learning and understanding yeah. about my disease and being able to pass stuff on to other people. One of the things that I created is called an infographic. And it's it, what I found is that when patients have had primary cancer, and it's probably any primary cancer, this, this just isn't breast cancer at all, I'm sure. 
that that they get told, go and live your life, everything's fine, you're cured, yeah. you know, on your way. And for breast cancer in particular, there is a, a you know, a, a, the, the diagnosis, yes, it's, in, it's curable at the time, but we don't know who those people are going to be who will metastasize or yeah. develop secondary breast cancer. Mm. And secondary breast cancer isn't in the same breast or it isn't in, that's a local reoccurrence, or isn't in the opposite breast, that might be a new primary. Um, it's when it goes to a different area of your body. And these areas, mainly bone, liver, lungs, yeah. brain, lymph nodes, those are the main areas that it can metastasize or spread to. So I was very interested in trying to inform patients about this. Yeah. And I created what's called an infographic. And it's basically a woman and a man. And it points to the areas and gives you the signs and symptoms of what can happen. And I have always felt that patients need to be empowered and be yeah. told about this because everybody gets told about, oh, find a lump, go, you know, catch it early. Yeah. Well, it's exactly the same for secondary cancers or secondary breast cancer. Yeah. You know, find it earlier. Yes, it is incurable. And that's what I'm living with now, yeah. uh, an incurable cancer. Yeah. Um, but actually finding it earlier, at least you don't have it multiple places. Yeah. You know, but patients are ignored very much by, especially if you're, you're out of the system, and, you know, you're not going yeah. back to your oncologist or surgeon. You go to the GP. GPs don't always know about what to look for because they're very general. Yeah. But to me, you know, having a, a primary breast cancer diagnosis should flash up on their system and alarm bells should ring yeah. with a cough, with bone pain, with yeah. dizziness or, the you know, being sick or whatever. And it, it could be something yeah. that is related to secondary breast cancer and that's like you're saying is you know we were saying about assuming like I always think that when you go to the doctor and you sit down and this is no disrespect to doctors your GP and they say how, how can I help you and you think well is it not all there on the screen is it not there like yeah. you know you don't have you don't expect to sit and have to tell your story yeah. again because well, you think yeah. well I was here two weeks ago why don't you why aren't you asking me yeah. about how I'm getting on with that yeah and I think that this sort of knowledge, I mean, there are those of us who like to, as you say, Google stuff. And, you know, I must admit, yeah. I went through I went through my own um, cancer scare. So I, ha I had to go and have an extra test and everything. Anyway, re just recently, a uh, month or two ago. And I literally looked up anything and everything that yeah. I could find. I spoke yeah. to my friends who had who had had cancer um, about all of that. I asked every question that I could ask when I was going and having um, tests and, and everything and biopsies and uh, it did help me it did actually help me but I think the thing that I've learned through this role is exactly what you said about being an advocate for yourself mm. and being able to say well why is why is that then what's going to happen and then what's going to happen after that and I think one of the issues certainly that we find with because particularly with um, head and neck cancers after you've had your surgery and the cancers what they say sort of gone you know they've they've dealt with the cancer um you're left with a mouth that doesn't work probably in some way yeah. shape or form but for the, as far as your surgeon and your oncology team they've dealt with what the issue was yeah 
so it, it's kind of that's done and then the patient's left to sort of go well what next now yeah. now how do I live with whatever this is and like you say for uh, breast reconstruction you know you you kind of think I suppose I would have thought you know oh I'll go in there I'll have a you know I might have to have a mastectomy and then they'll reconstruct straight away and I won't ever really know that there was physically any di- and of course it isn't like that at all no. and and I remember once speaking to um, a surgeon and he and I, we were talking about actually after after you've had oral surgery. And he said, the thing is, the surgeons, he said, that's a really hard story to tell someone that once the cancer has sort of we've got rid of taking out the tumour, that they're now got a whole nother bit of their journey, you know. And he said, it's almost that we don't want to tell them that, that this is just the first bit of the journey, you know. It's and very paternalistic. I find yeah. it very paternalistic that they hide away from actually telling you the truth. It is, you know, once you've had cancer and it doesn't matter what cancer you've had, you're always going to have that fear in your yeah. mind that something else can happen. Um, you know, I'm doing some research at the moment with uh, another organisation that's helping me on fear of cancer return to actually you know, validate the fact that I have these infographics and they need to be shared throughout the country. They're actually yeah. signposted by NHS England now. Fantastic. And I have two infographics because um, there's two types of breast cancer. It can be ductal or so it's in the ducts or lobular, which is like a mesh. And, and again, for lobular breast cancer, people don't always find a lump. Um, it's mm. a thickening. It's a hardening. And, um, and and sometimes they just don't find anything at all. So this is when people present at A&E with a problem. You know, they've got backache, they've, they've hurt the back, they've done something, they've got pain, whatever, whatever it is. And they can be diagnosed, you know, stage four secondary cancer straight away because yeah. they've not found a lump. They've no. not. So so where is that? That message of finding a lump as, you know, that that campaign has gone out the window, basically. Yeah. You know, these patients are not doing, they're not finding, they may not be even self-checking, but yeah. even self-checking, it doesn't necessarily give you, you know, the, the yeah. answers. It, it doesn't always do it. So, so it's really, really important that people are informed about what to look out for, because otherwise um you know that they're being failed basically yeah yeah so so i'm doing this fear of cancer return i've got these infographics the other the other thing that i'm really passionate about because i used to run used to do all like loads of physical activity i still do quite a lot now and um you know i i actually started a, a an exercise motivational exercise retreat for breast cancer patients so i do five of these a year in Saddleworth where I live because it's really nice lovely area and we have I I get patients there for a weekend from the Friday to the Sunday and we take them you know jogging walking Nordic walking hill climbing and yoga and having holistic therapy so and so, so what stage what stage so the type of patients who've come on this because I'm really interested about this motivational exercise we we spoke to um and I did another podcast a few months ago about a lady who did yoga actually for um cancer patients and that was really really interesting and also I've had loads of conversations with people about uh prehabilitation about you know yeah we're involved in in that with GM cancer prehab and rehab 
Yeah. So yeah. when the patients come on, when the patients come on your yeah. uh, retreats, what are they all different stages of their cancer? Absolutely. I've had people who were even going through chemotherapy who yeah. came on the retreats and can still do the things that, that you know we we offer them to do. Yeah. You know, maybe how do you think that benefits? How, sorry, how do you think that benefits patients? Massively. So there's research coming out um, that's been coming out for the past few years. I've always done this. I have always exercised. So for me, I think the, not just the physical benefits, but the mental health benefits yeah. of exercise or physical activity, no matter what you do, are massive for cancer patients. And for primary patients, after they've had a diagnosis of cancer, it's the fact that uh, for breast cancer, you know, with the, there's been research on this that can happen that actually help with the risk of reoccurrence. So it can help you reduce that risk, you know, with the physical activity. If you're eating well, if you're taking care of yourself, you know, all these things are beneficial for patients. So, yeah. and even with when you have secondary or metastatic disease. For me, I upped my exercise when I was re-diagnosed. So I was re-diagnosed with secondary metastatic breast cancer or stage four cancer or advanced breast cancer. Call it what you want. There's yeah. many names of it. That's the confusing thing as well. So I was diagnosed a year after I launched the website. So seven wow. years after, um, you know, a year later after after the launch was re-diagnosed with, with secondary breast cancer. And it had gone to the lymph nodes in my yeah. neck and I had two small spots in the sternum. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I then started, I wasn't just running and, you know, d doing that kind of exercise. I was doing yoga. I was doing CrossFit. I was doing cycling, yeah. uh, hill walking, Nordic walking, you know, all these things I added in. And for me, I really felt that it kind of, um, helped you with the side effects, flush the toxins out of your body. And I yeah. felt that it, you know, really made me uh, have less fatigue, less side effects from the, yeah. the treatment. Because when you have secondary breast cancer, you're on treatment then for life. Yeah. You don't stop yeah. treatment until basically you die. That's yeah. the only time that you would stop treatment when you're end of life. Yeah. So every three weeks you have treatment and I've had 150 now. So last week wow. was my 150th treatment every three weeks, scans every three months, you know, blood tests regular. These are the yeah. things that you just live with. So, you know, yeah. and it gets to be that sadly a, a normality, you know, of living. Yeah, yeah. With, just with becomes your new normal, doesn't it? It does normal. become normal. And you know what? It's totally abnormal because, you know, the statistics are for someone like me uh, with secondary cancer. And, and what you've got to also remember is there are different types of breast cancer. Breast cancer isn't one thing. There are probably about 11 or 12 different types. And within those, say, triple negative disease, um, I think there's about 20 different triple negative types of wow. that cancer. So it's not one thing. And, you know, when people say, oh, why can't we find a cure for cancer? That's why, because it's so yeah. complex. It's yeah. massively complex. So I have, um, you know, a specific breast cancer type. And um, 
yeah, you you just you, you have different treatments depending on what type of breast cancer you have. Yeah. So, wow. so again, you don't just get the standard chemotherapy or, yeah. you know, hormonal or whatever treatments that, that you have. Everybody's different. Different. Everyone's journey is different. So um, if a listener wants to find out more, Joe, about um, about what you're doing, and I know you're doing loads and you're involved in lots of other um, sort of patient support spaces. Um, what, where do, where can they go? Tell us about your website and socials and stuff like that. Yeah, the website is www.abcdiagnosis.co.uk. So you can find me on there. And also I do have a, so that's a community interest company. I actually started it off. I just needed it to be a legal entity. Um, I didn't want to be a charity because you've got to jump through a lot of hoops. And it's basically me who's organising all this. So currently as well, as well as the retreats, as well as the infographics, which are really beneficial for patients, um, I actually do Nordic walking. So I've got instructors around Greater Manchester who are trained Fantastic. in Nordic walking. I'm trained as well yeah. because of the benefits for breast cancer patients specifically. There is so can you just explain for those people who don't Nordic know what walking, Nordic walking is? Yeah. So Nordic walking is walking with poles. So it's a bit like as if you as if you're skiing without the skis. Um, and, and Nordic walking was taken up in um, in the Nordic countries because in the summertime, obviously, they don't have the snow. So patients, not patients, people started um, using the poles to walk with. So it's basically propels you faster and you can burn up to 40 percent more calories than normal standard walking. Wow. But it's not just that fact. It's the fact that for breast cancer patients, when you've had lymph nodes removed from underneath yeah. your, your arms, your axilla, um, you're at risk of lymphedema, which is a yeah. swelling and fluid. Um, but but actual Nordic walking, the technique, helps you to move that lymph around the body. And it's a full body workout. So it's massively beneficial for breast cancer patients. So I'd, I'd say to anyone listening, if they've got breast cancer and they want to do a certain exercise, Nordic walking is brilliant. I walk it every single day, about three miles every day. And I, I always go out Nordic walking um, just because I do have lymphedema in my left arm now. Um, mm. And I think it helps to control it. And that's that's only, you know, a, a good benefit to me. Yeah. Whatever, and, and whatever helps, I guess, really. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing I created as well is that I do have a charity called MetUp UK, which is about metastatic secondary breast cancer so we campaign and advocate for because there are issues with getting drug access getting good clinical trials um again awareness of the disease so again we use the infographics that i created on the so awareness and as well we're, we're not even counted when we're alive unbelievably i know you'll probably be a bit shocked at that but we're only counted when we're dead so around the country, not not necessarily every hospital counts the patients who have secondary or metastatic breast cancer. Some do, some don't, some do a bit. Yeah. And I've been campaigning for this around about 12 years since it was made mandatory yeah. um, in the NHS and it's never been implemented. Now we're having an audit. I don't know whether this audit is going to give us the right um, the right information back, but let's see. Um, yeah. But, you know, something's got to help us. At the end of the day, 
if we don't know how many people are living with this disease, how do we put the services, the expertise, the, you know, all the, 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 the stuff to help patients, how do we put that in the NHS? How yeah. do they fund it? Without that data. So, Joe, I could actually talk to you all day. It's fascinating. <laughs> and it's 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 really good to have a sort of a personal insight as well. You know, you're someone yeah. who's personally on this journey yourself and yeah. you're you've become an expert in that area yeah. through your own sort of wanting. Yeah. So just to say again, tell us your website address as well, because I know you can get onto the charity from that website address as well. So Yeah, absolutely. www.abcdiagnosis.co.uk and the other the other uh, website is www.metupuk.org.uk. So you can you can have a look at both of them. So absolutely wonderful talking to you and we'll we'll keep in touch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be really good. Thanks, okay. Michelle. No worries, speak to you soon. I hope you enjoyed that. Please share this to help raise awareness. And if you'd like any further information about head and neck cancers, do visit our website, hncf.org.uk.